Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode, we have Justin and Tim. Hey, how are you going? On this week of Lagrange Point, we take a trip to space and look at some fantastic work being done by China, launching a robot to the moon, Japanese researchers talking to robots in space, the European Space Agency launching a deep space mapping thing, and how you can help astronomers whilst on the bus. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. On December 14th in 2013, China took a step into history by launching their first probe land land up probe onto another planet importantly the moon and they landed a very complicated piece of machinery there it includes a lunar rover this is one of the greatest feats of engineering and it's really great to see china taking that step they have launched this probe and it's a really phenomenal piece of engineering and it's also a really important symbol of national pride for china but forgetting all the grand politicking and the uh, fantastic complicated engineering work there's a lot of science that goes into it behind it what exactly are they up to here? Uh, we've come a long way from um, Armstrong le- le- manually landing on the moon when his computer shut down. Uh, the Chang'e 3 probe was soft-landed automatically by robots, so there was no human in- interaction at any point. That's, that's uh, a bit they, like the sky crane that NASA used to land its rover on Mars. Yeah, it's not quite as badass as the sky crane, but it is still pretty cool given it's entirely robot-controlled from 15 kilometres away. As it dropped onto the moon, they um, fired the um, retro rockets and it hovered itself all the way down from 15 kilometres down to the surface, (laughs) entirely using autonomous sensors. And when you think about the kind of sensors that they're using here, one of the really challenging parts and why a lot of the NASA stuff, aside from the computing complexity, was still remained manual, was because they didn't know what they were getting to. And it's also really hard to predict exactly what you're going to respond or your sensors you're going to put feedback on. So building something that can predict all of that and then cope is really incredible. And thankfully, though, um, since then, China had a large, an enormous body of data to work with when they were developing the software for this because we've been staying the moon for, well, we've been staying the moon um, for at least the last 100 years and uh, have, have had sensors on it for the last 50. Yeah. And I, I also understand this is the Chang'e 3 uh, probe, the, the actual the satellite part of it. The lander was, it's called, was of course, called the U-2 or the Jade Rabbit. Um, for those playing along at home. But obviously, Chang'e 3 suggests that there was a Chang'e 1 and 2. 1 and 2 were the orbiters that they sent around the moon um, in pre- previous years. Yeah, so these, these, these robots would have been sent ahead to scout out the best location. So uh, Chang'e 1 was in 2007, and Chang'e 2 was in 2010. Uh, Chang'e 2 was a bit of an interesting uh, lunar orbiter as well, because it, you know, after looking at the moon for a while, it just, uh, in 2010... Made a few th- made a few observations and then said, you know what, I'm bored. I'm going to go check out an asteroid, and no, it <laughs> literally went and observed an asteroid named Totatus for in 2012 for for a while. Astrophysics missions are all, all almost always just single purpose and single design. So saying that it had the flexibility to go and observe an asteroid after observing the moon is impressive engineering. Yeah, that that's really incredible. Yeah. I mean, um, the they they did have some planning. Um, 
to actually undertake this little investigation if it, if it was an opportunity to do so. Uh, but they really kept it secret until after they'd actually done it and had some results. You, when you think about it, it's, it's, uh, it's really quite phenomenal that you can actually do these kind of things and great engineering work being done here by China. But that's all in the landers and the satellites that are doing the monitoring. What is the rover itself going to do? Because when we think about the moon, we've been there. We know it's it's the moon, you know. What do you, what do you want to know? <laughs> well, we, I'm pretty sure they know it's not made of cheese. So what, why are we calling this, uh, we're calling this rover U2. What, what was the actual mythology and the reasons behind that name? Uh, well, Changi, if, um, if you're familiar with the man in the moon in yeah. Western mythology... Yeah. Um, well, in Chinese mythology and many Eastern um, mythologies, there's not a man in the moon, but rather there's a rabbit. Um, and Chang'e was the name of the princess in um, in Chinese folklore who was uh, tasked with having to catch this rabbit. Uh, the rabbit ran away from her, and eventually um, she ended up trapped on the moon after the rabbit. Um, yep, the rabbit literally led her on a chase to the moon, where she remained trapped. Oh, that's um, that's that's really interesting. So that's why the robot was called Jade Rabbit is um, from this mytho- from this mythological background. Same with um, the Americans naming things like Apollo and uh, Apollo, Artemis, etc. That, that's that's really cool. Um, so the purpose of this lunar rover will also is it's actually the first one that's been on the moon, the first rover that's been on the moon since 1973. Um, that's so impressive. That, that that's sort of to give you an idea about it. Um, why people are sending one there. It's also carrying very powerful ground-penetrating radar as well as spectrometers and soil analysis technology, so including X-rays and alpha particles and so on. So what they're actually doing with this is actually understanding what is the the ground composition, what's underneath the surface of the moon, and doing kind of that kind of geological research on it. So it serves as a proof of concept for China and helps them actually show and test and work on their deployment technologies. If they want to send anything else to the moon, they now, or any other planet for that matter, they practiced and built up the skills to do that. Um, but they're also actually doing some useful geological research that is very difficult to do from space. Uh, and geological research is very important with the moon because, after all, um, that lends um, gives us evidence to describe how the moon got there and also um, how the Earth was formed. Uh, the current leading theory as to what the formation of the moon is that a, a impactor body, roughly the size of Mars, uh, smashed into the Earth while still in a molten form, um, tearing off a large part of its surface. When it this um, chunk then rounded and solidified as while well, while the Earth did the same. And this explains why the um, composition of the moon, as far as we know, and this rover is, um, is going to confirm, is that it's roughly cons- it, the moon is almost entirely made of, up of the same stuff that the Earth's crust is. But importantly, it doesn't have any things that the Earth's core has in it because the, co- the Earth had already differentiated into mo- iron core and silicate crust by the time of impact. Yeah, and, and we don't actually do the science to find out such pivotal facts about the own creation of the earth we 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 miss out on all this fantastic research and innovation so whilst it may seem like we know everything about the moon there's still a lot that the moon could tell us not only about itself but also about us and our history of our planet china wasn't the only ones undertaking some fantastic astronomical research and launches over the last couple of weeks the European Space Agency have also launched a very powerful and major probe uh, just in the last couple of days, around, um, around December 18th and 19th. And this is a probe called Gaia. Now, the purpose of Gaia 
uh, is to be a galactic observation satellite. Now, why you would wonder, you know, what do you want to do observing the galaxy? And it's, it's a bit interesting, but the idea behind it is actually to use spinning, sweeping telescopes to map the entire part of the Milky Way. So the Milky Way, you can have, if you're in a very uh, deserted area, you can see the big band of stars, the big belt that we call the Milky Way. And that's actually the edge of the galaxy that we're, sorry, the center of the galaxy that we're looking back from the edge towards. So this is our home, effectively. And we want to map this because what it's telling us about is not only our, what the sky looks like from Earth, which is important, but it also tells us about the composition of our home galaxy. Now, there are many galaxies out there in the universe, and this gives us a lot of valuable information about ours. In fact, they're going to build a three-dimensional map of our galaxy by using the, the multi-point telescopes and observing things from different locations to actually build a big three-dimensional observation of what our galaxy actually looks like. And now this um, this project is going to map over a billion stars, which may be even less than 1% of the galaxy, but this will give us a very good indication of what how, of the composition of our galaxy, the position of stars relative, like where new, newer stars are, where older stars are in the galaxy. And also gives us an idea of why Earth is where it is. Yeah, and, and that's, that's really interesting for us to know because, again, like we talked about with the moon, this just helps us more understand our place in the universe and how we fit into the big picture. And interestingly enough, the, um, this uh, telescope will be in, won't be in orbit around the Earth, nor will it be in orbit around the sun. Well, technically speaking, it will. But it's it will actually be a stationary point between the Earth and the Sun called um, called L two, and the Lagrange point is, is one of the Lagrange points around the Earth, which is also the name of our podcast here. Yeah, so a Lagrange point is a gravitational well. Um, it's a stable point in an orbit between multi multiple bodies, and there's five of them around the Earth, and there's L one to five, and the satellite Gaia is going to be hanging out at L2. So we salute the Gaia satellite as a fellow brethren of the Lagrange point. Uh, Gaia isn't just going to be looking at stars, though. It's also going to be looking at asteroids and comets within our, sal- uh, within our solar system and several thousand exoplanets beyond it. It'll be studying, um, it'll be studying uh, brown dwarfs, which are incredibly hard to see with, without the most advanced um, telescopes. And it'll also be doing tests to test out... Um, Einstein's theory of relativity. So it'll be measuring distortion of light from stars through space. And these are all really fantastic things because brown dwarfs are basically really cold suns, so stars. So if you imagine the sun, but if its surface was about 100 degrees. Yeah, they're, what the st- <laughs> what they're known as failed stars um, where the fusion process didn't totally take off and instead the gas burns very... Um, instead of fusing and... Uh, burning as bright as our sun, it instead um, fuses much slower. It's generally they're formed when the mass of the star isn't enough to uh, create an ongoing reaction. Yeah, and these they things are, are really, really fascinating galactic abnormalities, and they're really hard to find because they're so cool and don't really stand out amongst the other massive stars or stellar objects out there. And other things that don't stand out in the sky are exoplanets. Despite all the news recently about discovering new exoplanets and how we're not, we're not the only solar system in the universe, uh, this, uh, this news has only come out recently because exoplanets are incredibly hard to see. It's very easy to see stars in the night sky because they're shining, but a place like Earth, a place like uh, other planets that aren't uh, like right next to us, 
almost impossible to see. And they're, um, unless you have incredibly high magnification or you observe the stars themselves. And so that's why having a powerful telescope like Gaia out there hanging out at the Lagrange point is incredibly important for astronomy research. So we're looking forward to hearing more results from you as you go, Gaia. So phone home. Have you ever been really bored on a bus and thought about your place and the universe and how insignificant it all is and how the universe is revolving and evolving at a rate of 90,000 miles an hour? And as very uh, a famous songwriter once said. Yes. Um, but if you're having that kind of existential crisis on, on the bus, don't worry. Some researchers from the CSIRO in Australia uh, have come up with a really innovative way to help you make sense of the universe by helping their science discover certain objects out there in our galaxy. So the idea behind this is called Radio Galaxy Zoo, and this is not the first time it's been run, but there's a new one uh, being run out of CSIRO, headed up by some of the mage scientists Ivy Wong and Julie Banfield. And they're working on some really fantastic ideas to help us in our own lives, when we could be sitting on a bus, sitting at home, with no scientific training, qualification, or fancy telescopes, help them make sense of all the data that's streaming in through the power of citizen science. So what is exactly is, are they doing here, Tim? Uh, well, what they do is they get you download the app and they send you images f- taken by some of the biggest telescopes um, floating around uh, Earth. And these images need observation by, like, they need human observation because the computers, they can be... Um... Some computers are great for matching patterns and data and really systematic way but sometimes you actually need human intuition to try and make sense of the information that you're seeing there where it's not quite right imagine capture for example you know, computers suck at reading that and that's where human eyes really help uh so what they do is they send you an image of a of a black hole or of where a black hole is suspected to be um these black holes often occur large these supermassive black holes often occur at the center of galaxies and you think that would make them very defined. I mean, a galaxy is a pretty big thing, but they're also very far away. And so to observe, to check if a galaxy does have a supermassive black hole at the center or not, they need um, people to look at these pictures. And a computer can look at it and, and go, uh, can see that, um, see the jets, uh, can see radio emission jets from these uh, black holes, and they can see uh, the galaxy. And they and if those overlap, they can go. All right, there's a there's a black hole in the middle of this galaxy. However, if a computer sees three blobs of radio emission, it could either it could either think it's um, three separate galaxies or a black hole and it's two jets. Now, a human can tell by comparing the radio and infrared images if the infrared shows three galaxies and line up with their respective radio spots, then it's probably three galaxies. But if only the infrared source is in the center, there's a black hole and two jets. The computer can't. Uh, computers can't currently compete with the human brain for pattern recognition, and so this is why they need um, people like you and me to download the app and take a look at these photos. And, and that's really fantastic because what it's doing is actually giving the power to help conduct and perform fantastic research to scientists in their own backyard, and that's why citizen science is such a powerful thing. So I encourage you to head to radio radio dot dot org to actually. Uh, Figure, figure out what they're up to and get involved in this app to help them actually perform fantastic scientific research and, you know, look into the universe. And an added benefit of you doing this is that you might be one to make a discovery. 
Uh, a computer can just look at an image and all it can tell you is what it's expecting to see. But humans, when they see an image, then we're naturally curious and we'll t- we we'll might say, "Hmm, that doesn't look about, that doesn't look um, exactly right. Maybe I'll look at that closer." For example, there's a, an astronomical object currently of unknown nature called Hanny's Vorwerp, which is Dutch for Hanny's object, and it was discovered in 2007 while she was participating in this Galaxy Zoo project. Um, apparently, it looks like a, it's a bright blob um, near, near a spiral galaxy, but they don't actually know what it is. And until we can uh, – it actually it flags a really interesting thing because now we know that, hey, this weird object's out there. We can actually train more powerful, more interesting observation uh, technologies onto that spot. But she's the one who identified it first, which is fantastic. Yes, and this same person um, actually discovered – through this same project, um, she discovered that many people were reporting, uh, by participating in this, they were reporting small blue objects um, that looked like, a bit like galaxies, but they didn't. You couldn't quite. They were too far away to. Uh, they looked too far away to be to um, accurately identify them. Uh, more, um, yeah. Through the help of um, a few volunteers on the forums of Galaxy Zoo, they were able to um, discover that these actually were actually a um, a new type of galaxy that hadn't been classified before. It's known as a pea galaxy, and it's because they look like little green peas. Um, they apparently have... Uh, they're galaxies that are go- undergoing very high rates of star formation. But yes, th- and this type of galaxy wasn't known until... Um, people like you and me and like Hanny uh, looked through these images. And, and that, that shows the power of citizen science. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. This was a stellar week on Lagrange Point, where we talked about a new observation satellite called Gaia, China's first lunar rover, as well as some fantastic robo-linguistic research, and citizen science helping find galaxies. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.